Morning, everyone. Happy back to the grindstone after two Mondays off day. Uh, that film has just reminded me I haven't been to the office for about two months. I probably ought to go in. Uh, and welcome to the news agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined mostly by my fellow Mirror columnist and associate editor, Kevin McGuire, who I think can't hear us. Can you hear us now, Kevin? I, I can now, Fox. I apologise. I'm having all sorts of technical problems. We've got we've had some technical fun this morning, viewers. So uh, you know, Kevin is Kevin is tuning in on the best device he can find, and we'll have to see if we can muddle our way through somehow. Um, remember, this is the People's Paper Review, so get into the comments, ask us your questions. We'll do our best to answer them for you. Those of you listening later on podcast will just have to get used to working Mondays again, like everybody else. So what have we got for you today? Well, the mirror has splashed on an extraordinary picture of rugby coach Kevin Sinfield carrying his old teammate Rob Burrows over the finishing line at the Leeds Marathon at the weekend. Now, more on that story later. But first, I want to go to page four, where apparently, right, food prices have fallen. No one's told the supermarket checkout, though. So bread's gone up in price by 26%. But the prices of flour have dropped by 14%. The wholesale price of apples has gone down by almost half, but there's no change at all in the prices on the shelf. And the price of spuds, get this, has gone up 13%, even though the farmers haven't put the prices up. Now, apparently, Rishi Sunak is calling the supermarkets tomorrow to Downing Street for a food summit to discuss all this. And I suspect, Kevin, that uh, what he's going to say is something like, so you're all making massive and unreasonable profits. Well done. High fives all around, chaps. Yeah, I think it's called blame shifting, uh, isn't it? And to some extent, you'll, you'll have a case. We saw with energy companies, they shot up the prices of gas and electricity after Putin's invasion of Ukraine. And then wholesale prices fall, but prices to consumers drop very, very slowly. And it's what will the government do on behalf of people? So you'll, you'll have this summit, but uh, I suspect very little will change. And let's be honest and quite clear about it. Uh, this is how capitalism works. Those supermarket chains, whether you're Little Aldi, Sainsbury's, Waitrose, Co-op, uh, any others, Tesco, they exist to make money, make money for their shareholders. And the bonuses of their fat cab bosses uh, depend on it. So they will charge as much as they can. Competition is supposed to keep down prices for the consumer, but it doesn't work like that. It, it just doesn't, does it? And it's, it's astonishing that they're kind of calling this a food summit and um, they're probably going to have to explain to Rishi Sunak what groceries are before they start. I doubt he's uh, been to the supermarket at any point in the last 20 years. And if he has, he doesn't know how to use his card when he gets there. Um, now, the Lib Dems and the SNP are calling for some action on this because Food inflation's gone up almost 20%, but the actual inflation is only 10%. So plainly, yeah. people are being chiselled for all this. Um, and it's having a big impact, though, isn't it, on Rishi's premiership, no doubt last week's local elections as well. He's got to do something, Kevin, to help bring those prices down. So what do you think it yeah. would be? Yeah, the cost of living crisis is the number one political issue, followed by the alien NHS and crime with migration boats somewhere just by just behind and it is it is hurting because it's happening on his his watch he's ruled out price controls on basic uh, basic goods which could have been one way a temporary measure to bring down those prices you can see that as you as you mentioned the price of bread and i'm just looking at the figures in the mirror piece today all right the uh, loaf of uh, wholemeal bread up 26%, yet the uh, price of uh, 
wheat used in that bread making is has uh, dropped 14% recently and it's just not being fed through, excuse the pun. And I think you'll do a little bit of naming and shaming, but really what this summit was a, was about is it's it's farm to fork and it's really the tensions between farmers and the retailers because farmers claim they get a very bad deal they get small amounts for their goods and the supermarkets are making the vast profits and we should have an incredibly uh, efficient food production system in the uk and the supermarkets uh, just in time delivery and so sort of stock an amazing array of goods now that's been disrupted by Brexit and and COVID, uh, but prices rocketing. It's the number one issue. And I think he just wants to be seen on the side of consumers because he knows that being the wealthiest uh, prime minister in modern history is allowing Labour and the other opposition parties, the uh, Lib Dems and the Nationalist parties, the Greens, to paint them as out, out of touch. Because as you say, I don't think when you're worth well, three quarters of a billion, you really worry about how much you're paying for your bread, eggs, fish, meat, veg, fruit, whatever it, whatever it is. It just doesn't affect him. Uh, so he wants to be seen on the side. But I, I doubt anything concrete will come out of this other than it will be spun that he's concerned, he's rather than that, uh, and that uh, is it. Yeah, a spin then. So Mike says, this looks like Sunak attempting to set the narrative that if inflation mm. doesn't come down like he pledged, it isn't his fault. What do you think, everybody? Do you think that you've got some hope that if Rishi's calling these people into Downing Street, that they're going to do something about it? Or do you think, like Mike says there, that he's just going to shift the blame onto supermarkets? Elaine says they need to start fining companies that are making too much money when it isn't necessary. Good luck with that one, Elaine. Uh, I can, can't really see the Tories ever finding a company for just making too much money. Because um, then we, we, we would have no Rishi Sunaks, would we? Let's face it, we'd run completely out. What a shame that would be. But I do suspect, though, Kevin, that this is a lot of spin in terms of how we're being presented with this. Because this is supposed to be um, the number 10. This, this isn't really a summit about this problem. It's supposed yeah. to be about um, the, you know... Um, promoting UK produce at home and abroad and helping businesses to invest. So this yeah. is it was in the diary anyway, and his spokespeople are just spinning it to say, oh, yeah, he's going to talk to them about the cost of potatoes. No, he isn't. He's not. He's just going to get them yeah. in. They're going to have glad handing, back slapping, have some cheap fizz on us or a cup of tea and some biscuits, whatever it is, uh, and then leave. And everyone looked like they've had a nice talk about the thing that everyone cares about when they haven't. Yeah, well, I think that if Rishi Sunak wants to look like an action man rather than a no-action man, as any prime minister um, would. And I have uh, some sympathy with Elaine on taxing excess uh, uh, profits, as happens with the energy companies, although that, that's a tax that has, has got more uh, holes in it than a colander, so they're largely getting uh, round it. Uh, and my, I think Mike is right. That he's trying to change the narrative. I'm on your side. I understand your pain. I'm going to work uh, for you. But it, it won't be it won't be like that. These these companies do exist to make as much money as they possibly can for their shareholders. That's why they exist. And I suspect the the way that we'd have to take them on if the government's going to do nothing. And you know, to be fair, Labour's promising uh, next to nothing, too is probably consumer boycotts and uh, voting with our wallets and our purses and our, our credit cards. Um, bit of naming and shaming yet, but the Prime Minister is not going to do that. Supermarkets have, have got huge profits. They've gone up in, in value because of Putin's uh, invasion. 
and they won't be anxious to pass that money back to Constantinople, however much they go on about expanding bargain lines and uh, pretending they care as if there's some extension of uh, a Welsh welfare state that's been bad. No, they're not. They are there to make money. That's what it's all about. If they can charge you more for less, they will. Exactly. Uh, and I keep as I said on BBC the other day, a big block of cheddar in Aldi is £4.80! Oh, I won't tell you how thin the slices of cheese are in my household, but they're pretty thin. <laughs> um, if my daughter ate dairy, Lee, I'd be a lot happier. Uh, right. Um, so, so what do you think, everybody? You know, what, what do you think about the food prices? Are they coming down? Are you experiencing more money in your pocket? Or is this, as, as we are discussing here, still a problem? And they're not coming down as quickly as they went up, which was, as far as I can remember, pretty much overnight. Now, this is the same premier, the same prime minister, Kevin, that actually axed a food security strategy that would have got things from farm to fork better and more efficiently. And that would have meant we weren't quite so exposed to these sudden food price rises and so on. Um, so he seems to have kind of dismissed some of that. Lazy said, does Rishi travel to the supermarket by helicopter? I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> the last time we saw him in Sainsbury's was that one in Lewisham where he popped in to fill up someone else's car and try to pay with a loyalty points card um, on a barcode reader or something. <laughs> Ridiculous business. But remind me, Kevin, what's the, uh, what's the food subsidy like in the Houses of Parliament these days? Uh, it's pretty. I don't. I don't have the latest figure uh, for you, but it's it's pretty hefty. Now, some of that is for people who work there, including me, actually, and staff. But there's, there's no doubt that uh, MPs and peers do rather look after themselves when it comes to uh, good food and wine. They, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, the work. You know, the struggle takes many forms. Nothing's too good for the workers, and you know, you would expect yeah. them to look after themselves at the top so they can look after the rest of us. I do, I do believe the argument for subsidised food in Parliament is along the lines of what it's like a work canteen because you're here for long hours and you've got to work. But, you know, work canteens aren't that cheap last time I looked. But I've also, I've never really seen a work canteen, and I've worked all over Fleet Street, that's got a lot of booze in it. No. That's, no. You know, I don't know why there's booze in the Houses of Parliament. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in fairness to MPs and peers, most of them don't booze very much or very often, but it is an ongoing controversial issue to have bars in that place. It's, they use it for the, the justifications, apart from the fact they like it, is you've got, what, you must be getting out for 10,000 people working in that, uh, that building when you look at all the staff and employed by MPs, peers, and those who maintain it and hangers-on like me in the media, and then there's a security issue in that, and... They charge kind of Wetherspoons prices, I would say, for the uh, for the pints. Uh, certainly, you might charge a bit more for the wine now. But there's no there's no doubt there's a big subsidy, which is incredibly difficult to justify mm. during a cost of living crisis. Because you know you mentioned earlier, food inflation is nineteen percent. That's going up by about a fifth in a year. Who has had a peer rise uh, in in that uh, area? Very very few people of all at all. And food is, yeah, you can come back to some extent. You can eat a bit less. You can change brands and that. But you still have to eat to live. It's not an entirely discretionary spend. It's not like saying you, you don't want to go and buy a ticket for a Beyonce concert in Tottenham uh, in a short while. It's not like that. It is something you have to you have. To have. You have to have food. Exactly. You have and to have your potatoes. Yeah. You've got to buy a bit of cheese. There's, there's just some stuff you have to, you can't really get around not having. Um, I don't see very many skinny politicians 
Do you? I've noticed that apart from Reese Mogg, but presumably he's still on his mother's milk. Now, um, on to page seven, all right, where there's a slightly different story. Uh, our political editor, John Stevens, speaking of action men, our political editor, John Stevens, has had a sit down interview with Keir Starmer this weekend, and the Labour leader is calling for an immediate general election on the grounds that we've had 13 years of Tory hell, as it says there in the headline, and if we wait another year, we'll have 14 years of Tory hell to try and unpick. Um, the question is, Kevin, if he had an election, what policies has he got to fight it with? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a good point. He repeatedly calls for an immediate general election. All opposition leaders do, even if they don't want one. Now, I think Keir Stormont would want one because Labour's quite uh, ahead in the polls and he'd be the next prime minister. He's not going to get one. Uh, you, you know, Parliament can't really vote for for one now unless it has a motion of no confidence in the in the government, which still got a big majority. You're not going to get. Um, so I think 13 years of hell, as Keir Stormer says, it'll become 14 years of hell, and the election will be sometime in the autumn of next year. But you talk about policies. I find I actually find more interesting rather than Keir Stormer calling for an election now. Actually, the hint of some policies here. One is bring back um, education maintenance uh, allowances for kids to stay on at, at school at uh, 16 plus in uh, poorer uh, households, which Labour introduced uh, and then was scrapped by the Conservatives. And also there's a little hint too of tax cuts for the lower paid, although I wouldn't, there's no firm commitment because he's been through a, pol a policy or process, policy is the wrong term, a process recently of ditching a lot of uh, other policies from the Corbyn era, including policies he stood to be Labour leader on, which have seen him accused of dishonesty, such as abolishing uh, tuition fees, uh, taking back into public ownership, uh, water and uh, electricity and a mail, a number of other public services. But it does have does have some policies, in, in fairness. Got a very good uh, employment rights package, I, I believe. Uh, would end the um, tax perks for private schools to employ more teachers in the real public schools, the 93% used by everybody else. End the non-DOM tax dodge, three billion enjoyed by the Sunak family and others. So there are, there are policies, but he needs more because he's got to paint in very vivid, compelling colours why people should vote Labour. Just in, instead of saying, you know, that lot, the Tories have had 13, 14 years, are absolutely useless. Get you some, somewhere down the line, but you need reasons to, to show it. And I thought there was a couple of hints in the piece, which I find more interesting than, you know, let's have an election now when you're not going to get it. What do you think, everybody? Do you think there should be a general election immediately? Do you think... Um... Keir Starmer's going to get what he wants, or do you think he's got enough policies to fight an election? Do you think they need to do more things? Uh, and I, was, I think you're being quite sort of optimistical, Miss Kev, because some of these mentions that there are a couple of mentions. When politicians sort of mention something as an aside, they're usually floating a you know a little balloon somewhere to see how people respond to it, that sort of thing. But they're also cavilling quite a bit and, and not really committing so I mean if you go through this 800 words or so of copy Keir says he wants to keep tax for working families as low as we can but that doesn't say he's going to cut the highest tax burden in a generation Marisa says I cancelled my membership so no I'm not Labour under Starmer and never will be mm. um so he's you know he's lost a lot of people there who were in the party under Corbyn, yeah. and there's talk about in there about restoring maintenance grants like you mentioned, so kids from poor families get yeah. uni. But what he actually says is we're working through various options. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's also 
he's also got poll ratings and pulling off uh, results that were, that alluded Corbyn too. And I'm I'm not I'm not Stalmer. I I like the Corbyn policies. I was uh, I would I would advocate the Corbyn policies, which were the traditional left policies. Actually, they were there before Corbyn. They were Corbyn policies without uh, without Corbyn. But he, but he is ahead in the in the polls, which uh, really annoys some of the Corbyn supporters that he seems to be doing better uh, electorally. But there is this whole question of when you show your hand. Now, if that general election he wants now isn't going to be until autumn next year, you mm. don't want to publish a full policy agenda now because you want to see what the circumstances are. You want to show, yeah, you want to show the public something. You want to show them what you're about, your values, your vision, where you're heading. But the, pol the policies you will have to devise uh, nearer the time. Otherwise, one, the Conservatives can can nick it, or two, you give them longer to attack it. Because the counter argument is, if there's such good policies, well, why not start selling them uh, selling them now? But there's all sorts of labour. We don't know what they would do. For instance, mm. in 2019, they said, right, let's have uh, the, uh, the minimum wage at 10 quid. I thought it was a very popular, good policy. Well, the minimum wage now, the official, the government's official minimum wage, not the real living wage, is ten forty-two. So that policy is redundant. What are you going to offer? You're going to offer people fifteen quid, as the TUC asks. I can't see why uh, another parliament that isn't isn't your goal. I think it's pretty relatively modest. If there are mm. lots of uh, unfilled vacancies, you pay people more, and you'll fill those vacancies. Yeah. And what do you think, everybody? Do you think Starmer should be setting out his stall right now? Would you like him to be offering some policies or would you rather that he was keeping his powder dry in the way that Kevin suggests there for a general election, maybe in 18 months time? Because not only if he were to give out his big ideas now, like Kevin says, the Tories are going to come along and nick it and do it anyway, or they might attack it. They have reasons to start pulling it down. There's also the possibility, of course, that if you start offering something or saying you're going to do something, you've got 18 months where events dear boy events will overtake you and suddenly you have to change your policy because something in the world has changed and then the voters and your opponents are going to say well you know he's, he's switched sides he's changed his mind he doesn't know where he is which is something that people say about Starmer anyway Mike says how come one party wants more people to be able to vote while another has introduced laws to make it harder for some to vote and some newspapers call the former anti-democratic rather than the latter so I think Mike's talking about proportional representation there and Starmer's going to have a bit of a fight about this, isn't he, internally, Kevin? Because Andy yeah. Byrne wants PR. The Lib Dems want PR. I think SNP do as well. The Tories really don't because they'd probably suffer under it. Um, mm. And Starmer is going to be asked, really, and especially if there's an election, he would be leader of, say, of a minority government or a coalition. Yeah. He's going to have to trade something. But it's got to be said... Yeah. The last time we voted on this wasn't very long ago. We had a ballot under the Lib Dems uh, when they were in coalition. It was their, Nick Clegg's price for joining the Tories. And there was a swinging majority against. And people yeah, I, I think what he was referring to is you know, the Conservatives brought in photo ID, which suppressed mm. uh, uh, people voting because you know, it didn't, you know, so many people without proper photo ID and it has to be approved. And uh, Let's be honest, the Tories wouldn't have brought it in if they thought it was going to harm their own party political interests and thought they hurt their opponents. Um, but they, So they've suppressed it. But I think he's referring to the plans and, or discussion, I think, rather than plans to widen the franchise and perhaps let people from European Union countries who are settled here, allowed to stay here, pay tax, work here, everything, let them vote in general elections. I don't think that's going to happen, but it's going to shock so, some that... Um, 
people from, they probably haven't realised that people from three member uh, countries in the European Union can vote, vote here anyway, even if they're not UK citizens, as long as they're settled here, from Greece, Malta and Ireland. Ireland, historic uh, issue. Malta and uh, Cyprus because they're Commonwealth countries and just as Bangladeshis, Australians, New Zealanders, Canadians, Ugandans, if they're legally settled here, they can vote without being UK nationals and also Labour is going to reduce the voting age, likely to reduce the voting age from 18 to 16 to allow more people to vote in, in general elections and bring um, England into line with Wales and Scotland where 16, 17 year olds can already vote in their, this, nation, their, nation, their national elections in those countries with the council. But no, P PR though, you're right. I mean, look, I'm a, bit, I'm a big fan of fair events. I think the, the MP should represent how the country votes much, much more fairly. Andy Burnham, as you say, the King of the North, Greater Manchester. Mayor is back here, but Keir Starmer is very much against it. And I, th I think the odds are that you'll get a tiny majority or no majority, then he'll have to do a deal with the Liberal Democrats and whoever else is around now. The yeah. Tories have had four election wins and two of those have ended in, um, well, one in a coalition, as you mentioned, the Liberal Democrats and the Conservatives 2010, 2015. Then there was a bung parliament in 2017 when Theresa May lost a majority and gave uh, a billion quid to the DUP for their, yeah. their support. So vote. surely then, when all these questions come out about, uh, you know, if you win a general election, are you going to have to have a coalition? Are you going to go do a deal with someone? Which Keir Starmer seems to get all the time. Surely the right people for political journalists to be asking that question of is Rishi Sunak. Are you going to do a deal with the DUP if you if you only just about scrape through the next election? Are you going to do a deal with um, with the Lib Dems again? Are we going to have another yeah. coalition? They're yeah. the, ones in the history of doing it, aren't they? Yeah, they, they are. You're, no, you're absolutely absolutely right. I think it's a legitimate uh, question. But what the Conservatives now is they say they rule out any any deal with anybody. Well, I'm not sure anybody would want to do a deal with them now because they've lost the DUP as <laughs> oh, well. I don't know. Mephistopheles is available. Yeah, over the Windsor framework. <clears throat> but but the, the truth is they would just lie. I mean, that's it. Well, Starmer in in one way has been more honest, where he rules out the SNP. But he says it's a hypothetical question about the Liberal Democrats, which. Ed Davey, the Liberal Democrat leader, rules out uh, a deal with the Tories because it's hypothetical about Labour. You could see that there might be some deal there. And the price, if there is, the price, I think, from the Liberal Democrats now, I'm told, would be electoral reform. You mentioned the 2011 referendum. It was lost heavily two to one. The Liberal Democrats wouldn't want a referendum this time. They would just want to introduce through Parliament. Well, the only way you could legitimately do that through Parliament is if Labour put it in their manifesto and people know it's likely at the beginning. But at the moment, Keir Starmer's against electoral reform PR, so it's unlikely to be in the Labour manifesto. It's not to say it won't be added later on uh, before before the election because this, you know, I've seen this process worked in Labour many times. have all these conferences and all these national policy forums, but in the end, it's really the leader who dictates what is in that manifesto. Mm. And Lazy says, where I live, a vote for anyone other than the Tory candidates, like winging into the wind. I'm all for PR. <laughs> there's, there's a problem with PR on our current system of constituencies, Lazy, is that if you are voting, say, for Labour and you're in a Tory constituency and the, the most votes go to the Tory and the, the Tory goes back, how is your vote represented nationally? Because, you, you know, you, you need to yeah. have a local representative. That's the entire basis since the 13th century that our democracy has been based upon. You send your local bigwig from the shires to, to Westminster. 
How does it function? Where's the accountability? Um, and there's some detail there. But one of the things, there's definitely a thirst for Kevin, right, is, is some kind of electoral change, even if it's not PR, if it's broadening the franchise, if it's getting rid of photo ID, if it's opening up who can vote, that kind of stuff. But what Starmer really needs, before we go into our good news, what he really needs is a bit of that Obama kind of style, hopey, changey thing that, he, that, he, that people are desperate to hear. He mentions change and thirst for change in this story, but and southern fact that he's not Obama, but he's just that hopey, changey cell, you know, the new dawn, it's that's just not there yet. And that's that's kind of the marketing strategy they need, isn't it? To not just win an election, but to win a landslide so they can actually govern. Yeah, they need a sprinkling of stardust uh, uh, and, and excitement to get people going there. He's incredibly engaging privately, but he doesn't show that publicly. He's got to he's got to sh he's got to show that publicly. But he can also assemble, I, I believe, uh, a, a team who are very good communicators and can own the future. And yeah, the policy program, the platform may not be what everybody would want. Who's in the centre or the centre left, but. It can be attractive and it can be a sort of credible, engaging, hopefully hopeful alternative to the uh, to the current lot. And you've got to use, you know, Angela Rayner more. West Street, and you see a lot of he's a good communicator. But then you you see others like Joe Stevens and Lou Hig, um, Lisa Nandy. They need to be pushed further to the to the front because they're all they're all good. They can all do hand to hand combat with Tories and others in TV studios and on the airwaves, uh, and they need to turn a nice phrase and and make a compelling case. But they've got to do it. Like Labour need to step up a gear or several gears. I agree. I agree with you. In, including you know the driver, the man at the front, Keir Starmer. Too, he has to do it a bit more. Like if he was on now, he'd be frustrated, and you'd be seeing it's very difficult to cut through to get much through the media where most of the press is Tory. Uh, the Conservative Party is tearing itself apart. We can see Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, really having to go out. Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister today, over migration, forgetting that she's in charge as Home Secretary in that in that area, and that that Tory soap opera is drowning out a lot of the Labour messages because it's taken a lot of the political oxygen. It is, unfortunately. And while we are very grateful that Keir Starmer sits down with uh, John Stevens, he needs to be able to sit down with the Times and the Telegraph and the Mail and everybody else too and get his message across to the other voters. Yeah, it, 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 it does that. For instance, he did a... He did a coronation piece with the Telegraph. Mind you, it was all, you know, how marvellous uh, King Charles III is. So uh, as a Republican like you, I find it, find it a bit nauseating, actually. He's a, well, I'm, but, I'm not yeah. a Republican, but I don't, because I don't know what better thing there is. I have great sympathy for the royal family stuck in a cage. I don't think we treat a dog that way. But I, I just... Put out their misery. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a realist, which is that if we got rid of them, we'd have a terrible alternative. Well, so the country's thing? I don't, I'm not prepared to... Chuck yeah. it out. All the other countries manage, don't they? There's very few monarchies around. I don't know. Have you seen the state of France? And it was yeah, but, uh, America. Right. France's, France's economy is more vibrant than our own. Well, I know Prince Charles may be a bit anti-democratic and a bit of a meddler, but I think he's a good egg and he's probably mostly on the side of the nuclear test veterans. So <laughs> I, I, I will, I will well. allow him to remain in post. 
Nobody well, is all wrong, and I will give that because you fought a fantastic <laughs> campaign. I'll, I'll yeah. give you that. But all I'm uh, interested in is Labour manifesto pledges on the nuke vets and, yeah. and what Charles does. To me. Everyone else, get yeah. Look, he might be on your side, but there's no need to curtsy. <laughs> exactly. I will. I will bow slightly. <laughs> That'll be it. If he doesn't have the test vets, there you go. You've seen it here first. Right. Thank you for that, Kevin. Um, we'll have to see, won't we, how all this stuff, especially last week's local election wins, sort of translate into perhaps a Labour win uh, a general election and whether or not there is a, um, a need perhaps for a, a second vote within a year in order to give Labour the proper mandate that it might need to actually govern. We'll have to wait and see if Keir Starmer manages to pull some Obama out of... Um, as wherever he's keeping it. Anyway, uh, thank you everyone for your questions. We need to move on now because there is some good news in the world. We've already mentioned it once. It's today's front page. Here it is. So back to that front page splash and that amazing picture of Kevin Sinfield carrying his old teammate Rob Burrows over the line of the Leeds Marathon. And Rob, of course, has got motor neurone disease. And it shows just how devastating that illness is when you consider that a strapping rugby player has been reduced to being in a wheelchair and being carried around. Now, Rob's run. Uh, sorry, Kevin has run lots of marathon events for Rob. <clears throat> but this time he was pushing Rob in a chair, which itself must have been painful for Rob to have to endure for several hours. That's not an easy task just being pushed around a marathon you've got 26 miles of juggling and juggling and sores and goodness knows what else um and also rob's wife Lindsay took part in her first ever marathon event with an injured knee to raise money for her husband which is fairly fantastic but alongside them were thousands of other people and together they managed to raise this weekend three million pounds for good causes in what was the first leeds marathon for 20 years i mean all of it is kind of amazing if you look at it kevin is this proof do you think that with if someone gets the right support, then anyone can do just about anything. Yeah, it can. The great paradox, as I look at that picture, and I think it's utterly heartbreaking, but also truly inspiring, because the, that friendship between Kevin Simfield and uh, Rob Burrow is just absolutely incredible. And you know, Leeds, Yorkshire, much of the country has rallied around them. Rob Burrow, when he was a rugby player, played for Leeds Rhinos, uh, England, uh, Great Britain. He was only five foot five, which is a bit small for a rugby league player, which shows you how exceptionally talented he was. He was at a high level for so long with that relatively short uh, stature. But to see how more a neuron, which is such a cruel disease, has actually sucked so much life out of him is absolutely heartbreaking. But then it is inspiring the way Kevin Sinfield, who was also hugely successful at, at rugby league, now in the uh, England Rugby Union coaching uh, outfit, how he's how he's supporting his friend and raising money for research and uh, inspiring others is is just fantastic and uplifting. Yeah, and of course Rob and his wife Lindsay and the the way they've tackled it as well. I think together, yeah. um, and it seems to uh, you know their marriage is perfectly fine and strong and doing well with it and she's out there running marathons for him they've managed to turn a terrible personal tragedy into something which is raising lots of money to find a cure and to do treatment and so on for other people so i think all of it just goes to show that with support from someone yeah. the whole world is is there's your oyster which you know, is Foxy, the government yeah. the, the research is going to be too late for for rob but we sadly we know how this story is going to end but I just, you know, you, 
tip your hat uh give thanks that he he wants to help others who will come after him so they don't they don't suffer what what is his fate yeah and that, I, that is just yeah fantastic it's wonderful one of the most inspiring things in the world is when someone uses something awful to do something good i think that yeah. is that's what yeah. elevates us a bit from the animals and mm. makes human beings a little bit worthwhile we shouldn't get wiped out yet because there's there's still a few things we can do anyway um i don't think we've got any more questions so thank you kevin for taking us through all of that thank you everyone for taking yes, part uh, and thank you for waving the merch. And uh, no. thank you, Keir Starmer, for the interview. Thank you for Rishi Sunak for being an idiot. Uh, and good luck with your food summit and someone explaining to you how uh, the things you buy in a supermarket actually end up on your table. Uh, until next Wednesday, then, we'll have another edition of the News Agenda later this week, uh, and we will go through the big news of the day then. But until then, thank you for listening, and tatty bye. <laughs>